Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy and the third chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3. As Pastor mentioned, I was raised in an evangelist family. My father, Dr. Hal Webb, preached the gospel for 67 years before he went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my privilege to grow up under him and in that family. We didn't travel all the time like uh, some people might uh, assume uh, because back then they didn't have all the homeschooling materials and things that we do today. And uh, so uh, I grew up outside of the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of Brotherly Shove. I'm sorry, that's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, uh, voted about 10 years ago to be the world's third most unfriendly city. But uh, in any case, I grew up there and uh, did not travel in an evangelistic ministry until I was in high school. My last couple of years in high school, uh, my father took me with with him in evangelistic ministry. And uh, so I had the opportunity to learn uh, firsthand that way, even though at that point in my life, I was was, uh, struggling with that call of God for my life. But I'm thankful that I have a godly heritage And God gave me a a wonderful wife who's uh, the uh, descendant of of a pastor. Her father pastored churches in Pennsylvania and New York State for many years. And he had finally retired at age 83. He's 80, what, 88, 89 now, something like that. And uh, so we both have godly heritage in uh, in parents that uh, are in full-time service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful for that. I'm thankful my father raised me with a love for God's Word. In our household, we were never allowed to put anything on top of our Bibles. You couldn't put a, if you were stacking a bunch of books up, even though the Bible was bigger, you couldn't put something else on top of that. My parents always, don't throw your jacket over your Bible. Why? That's the Word of God. That's the Word of God. It's not that we worship the Word, we worship the God of that Word, but this book is more special than any other book. I wonder if I could ask this morning, how many of you believe the Bible contains the Word of God? How many believe the Bible? Oh, pastor, don't look. What's the matter, Brother Barry? Folks, the Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God, and there's a big difference between those two statements. Some believe, I want you to believe the Bible is not God's Word at all, others that only part of it is or part of it isn't. But our Scripture text today we're going to see tells us that all Scripture, every bit of it from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, from cover to cover, does not just contain but literally is the very Word of God. Would you stand with me, please, as I read our scripture text for this morning? I always like to have a stand as they did in the scripture when the word of God was read even then. If you'll stand with me, beginning at verse 15, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writing to Timothy uh, says to him, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's remain standing for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together and for the freedom that we have to be here together in this place. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each heart uh, that is listening or watching or here in present in the auditorium as well, that, Lord, you might speak to each heart here, that you might focus our attention as the music and other things today has as well upon the truth of the Word of God. And I pray most of all, should there be anyone here today who does not know for certain their sins have been forgiven and that they're on their way to heaven, may today be the day of their soul's salvation. But I pray that those of us who are believers today would be able to go forth with a greater appreciation of and application of the Word of God in our hearts and our lives today. And we'll thank you and praise your name for what you'll accomplish at our midst today, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated this morning. 
I was preaching in Fairfield, California, about a mile from the Jelly Belly factory out there when uh, after a Sunday evening service, a woman approached me. She had heard me say something negative in the message about women preachers. She said, Brother Webb, don't, uh, said to my wife, actually, she approached my wife first. She said, doesn't your husband believe in women preachers? My wife said, well, no, he doesn't. She said, well, why is that? So I happened to be walking by at the time, so my wife passed the buck off to me. She said, well, here he is. Why don't you ask him yourself? So she turned to me and she said, don't you believe in women preachers? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, well, why is that? So I took her to the New Testament scriptures and showed her two passages of scripture that specifically speak about God's plan and, and purpose for women within the church. And I just finished reading the last passage directly to her out of the word of God when she looked me in the face and said, well, I don't agree with that. I said, excuse me? She said, I don't agree with that. I said, well, ma'am, it's not my opinion. I, I just read it to you directly out of the Bible. She said, well, isn't the Bible just a book written by men? Weren't most of the religious leaders of the world and even government leaders of the world up until the writing of the Bible women? And didn't a group of men just get together and make up the Bible so as to reverse the roles of society and subjugate and enslave womankind? And raise? I mean, I never heard so much foolishness out of two lips in 10 minutes of my life as I heard from her. She claimed to be a Christian, but I wonder if anybody would be saved if they don't even believe at all. The Bible is the Word of God. Now, the Bible is... God's absolute truth. Now, I know what the society says today. Oh, the preacher, there are no absolutes. Does anyone have a problem with that statement? I mean, the, aside from the fact that it's incorrect, think about it. The statement itself is an absolute. If there are no absolutes, you can't use one to say there are none, but that's the foolishness of mankind who, according to Romans chapter 1, even though the things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that man was without excuse, the Bible says man does not want to acknowledge God in his heart. And because of that, God has turned man over to a reprobate, a darkened mind to dishonor himself. And all of the wickedness that we find so prevalent in the world around us today is listed there as a result of man's choice to disregard God and his word. But it is interesting to me that even though there are many, many believers in our Bible-believing churches today that say they believe the Bible truly is the Word of God, yet it's amazing to me how many people who are Christians and some that have been saved for years don't truly understand the very purposes for which God gave us His Word. What is the importance of God's Word? I want us to see from this passage of Scripture this morning that it tells us of three things for which God gave us His Word. First, He gave us His Word to lead us to salvation. Second, to lead His Word to strength, uh, to lead us to strength. And thirdly, to lead us to service. Look first of all at verse 15. God gave us His Word to lead us to salvation. And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice the purpose is to lead us to salvation through the process of faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we said a moment ago, the Bible tells us God's absolute truth. It tells us the truth about the source of man. Contrary to what some would like us to believe, we did not evolve on this planet. 
We are not a piece of protoplasm caught in the cosmic matrix. We're not the survival of the fittest. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I like the song that my father and his associate, his music man, used to sing for years and years that they made popular throughout the country and even around the world that had a chorus that said, I'm no kin to the monkey. The monkey's no kin to me. I don't know much about his ancestors, but mine didn't swing from a tree. Now, the Bible makes it very plain to us that God made man, and he, he made the, the first man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It didn't happen by an accident. God purposed it. God planned it. He created man. He created the world. And, and, and the Word of God tells us this uh, in Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Praise God, we're not a piece of protoplasm. We're not an accident. We are the created purpose of God, each one of us. And so the Bible tells you the truth about the source of man. Secondly, it tells you the truth about the sin of man. Now, I know what psychiatrists and psych uh, psychologists today would like us to believe, that man is basically good. And left to himself upon this planet, man will create one day a utopia of it. There's a good Hebrew word for that, baloney. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Look around us in the world today, the warfare, the disease, the crime, all the other things that are taking place. That is the result of man. The Bible says, for from within, out of the heart of man proceedeth adultery, fornication, and wickedness of all different types and sorts. It isn't what comes into the man from outside that defiles him. It's what comes out of the inside. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.12, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.22, the scriptures have concluded all under sin. There's not a one of us here who can say we've even kept the first one of the Ten Commandments of God. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments? What's number one? Thou said, I have no other gods before me. Oh, you say, Brother Webb, I protest. I've always believed in God. He's always been God to me. May I ask you all two questions we can all answer together. First of all, how many of us have ever done something we knew God said we should not do? My hand is the first one up. If you're honest, you're honest, yours is up as well. Second question, how many of us here have ever not done something we knew God said we ought to be doing? Again, if you're honest, your hand should be in the air. What's the point, Brother Webb? It's very simple, folks. Anytime and every time we know what God tells us to do, and we choose our will and our way over His will and His way, we have just made ourselves the God of our lives, and we have violated the first commandment. I would submit to you this morning, there's not a believer here who probably does not break that law more often even after we're saved than we have before. Because how many times do we run the preaching of the Word of God or the Scripture that God puts in our heart past the sieve first of whether we agree with it or we like it before we decide if we'll do it? That subjects God to our will. That makes us God of our lives. And there's not a one of us who can say we've even kept the first commandment. So never mind the other nine. They're just as important. I don't want to minimize them. But the book of James clearly teaches that whoso keepeth the whole law and yet offendeth in one point is guilty of all. And so the Word of God tells us that God is not impressed with how good we are, why He knows how good we're not. He knows how good He made us to be. First Peter 1, verses 15 and 16 says, And as He which hath called, uh, called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So how many of us are just as holy as God is? 
None of us. That's why Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. None of us is a goody two-shoes. Every one of us has violated God's law. People say, well, if God knew none of us was going to keep the law, why did he give us those commandments in the first place? Well, the Bible tells you, Revelation 3 verse 20 said, or Romans 3 verse 20 says rather, by the law is the knowledge of sin. What does that mean? Well, if you went up here to the main road, Keystone, I guess it is up here, and you drove back and forth for a few miles at 150 miles an hour without stopping, if there's no speed limit sign, stop stoplight or stop sign, you have done nothing wrong. But if you go up there and put up a speed limit, 45 mile an hour sign or a stoplight uh, or a stop sign and then you breeze back and forth through there at 150 miles an hour without stopping if you did not realize you did wrong someone else will likely assist you in understanding that fact and an officer of the law will pull you over and say didn't you see that sign that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments didn't you see that sign God says we have violated his law the Bible tells us the truth about the sin of man oh but you say preacher what is sin sin to your church may not be the same as sin to my church or someone else's church well God didn't leave that up for discussion he tells us in first John 3 and verse 4 sin is the transgression of the law And because every one of us has broken the laws of a holy judge whose name is God, we are criminals in the sight of God. The Bible tells us the truth about the sin of man. Thirdly, it tells you the truth about the sentence of man. Because God is a holy, righteous, and just judge, he declared a punishment for sin. What is that? Ezekiel 18.4 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9 27 says it is appointed on a man wants to die. Now I doubt that you got up this morning and stretched and looked out the window and said, huh, nice day. I wonder if I'll die today. But you ought to think about it because you could die today. Every one of us, as someone said, has an expiration date. We just don't know when that is. And every one of us is facing one day death. Why? Why must we face death? Because of our sin. And the holy just judge of all the universe said that all sin must be punished by death. That does not just mean a physical death, but according to Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 16, once a sinner dies, though their body is buried in the grave, their soul goes to a terrible place of torments called hell, not forever, but until the day of a great white throne judgment, spoken about in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, and after facing the law of God that they violated, and the list of every sin they've ever committed, and the land's book of life where their name is not found written, they will then be cast into a lake of fire for all of eternity to burn throughout eternity yet never be consumed that is what every one of us has earned because of our sin we can point our fingers back as the bible tells us about how adam and eve sinned against god in the garden of eden and we can say well it's all their fault if they had not sinned in the garden of eden romans 5 12 wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned there's not one of us who has not also just like our human parents, Adam and Eve, willingly chosen to disobey God. And because of that, we have earned the penalty of physical death, followed by hell, followed by that awful judgment, and eternity in a lake of fire. If I received what I deserved, I would be there right now. We all would, because we have all willingly committed sin against the holy judge whose name is God. We have done so. But the Bible not only tells you the truth about the source of man, the sin of man, and the sentence of man, praise God it tells you the truth about the 
substitute for man. I was preaching in South San Francisco Bay Area of California when after the service one night, a young man approached me and he said, Preacher, I do not believe in a God who wants to send people to hell. I said, neither do I. He said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. He said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. He said, well, don't you believe there is a hell? I said, yes. He said, don't you believe that sinners who die have to go there? I said, yes. He said, don't you believe if I am a sinner and I die, I will have to go there? I said, son, if you die and end up in hell, I can assure you on the, on the word of God that it was not his will for you to be there. He said, how can you say that? Because 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3 16 said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There is only one thing that a holy, just, and righteous God could do to remain holy and righteous and punish all sin by death, and yet make a way of forgiveness and escape and salvation for you and for me. It was not as most man-made religions would have idea of that he would lower his standards or change his laws to let us into heaven because as some would say, God knows none of us is all that good. And if we just do the best we can and we help our fellow man and we're kind to our neighbor and we don't cheat in our business dealings and we don't abuse our family members, etc., etc., why God will let us into his heaven anyway. No, he will not. He cannot because he cannot change who he is. He cannot deny his attributes. What is the number one attribute of God mentioned in the scriptures? Most people would reply, God is love. I agree God is love, but that's not the number one attribute mentioned of God in the Bible. The number one attribute mentioned of God is that God is holy. God is holy. If God allowed you or me or anyone else to enter his holy heaven with even one sin, he would no longer be holy, he would no longer be righteous, he would no longer be just, he would no longer be God. He cannot deny who he is. And so he said, the soul that sinneth it shall die. But the only way a holy, just, and righteous God could make a way of salvation and forgiveness for us and entrance into his heaven even though we don't deserve it, it's not by lowering his laws or changing his standards, but is that someone else who never sinned be punished for everyone else who has. Well, that leaves you and me out because we've got our own sin to deal with. We can't pay for anyone else's. There's only one person that was ever born on this planet without sin. Who was that? Jesus Christ. There's only one person who ever lived their lifetime on this planet without sin. Who was that? Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is only one person who could possibly go to an old rugged cross, take your sin and my sin and the sins of the world upon himself, and die in our place, be punished in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he, uh, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Bible tells us all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. That's why it tells us uh, very plainly in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for 
us. And so the Bible tells us the truth about the substitute for man. A substitute is someone or something who takes the place of someone or something else. And Jesus Christ, God's Son, took your place and my place on an old rugged cross, bore our sins, was separated from the only time he would ever be separated from his own father as he cried on that cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because of the sin he was bearing. Whose? His? No, he had none. Our sin, your sin, and my sin separated him from his father. And then the father unleashed the sword of his punishment that you and I deserve for eternity and poured it out upon his own sinless son, bearing our sin on that cross to pay the price in full for all of our sins, mine and yours. And so the Bible tells you the truth about the source of man, the sin of man, the sentence of man, and the substitute for man, but it also tells you the truth about the salvation of man. How can you and I be saved because of what God did? If he's not willing that any should perish, then how can we come to him and be saved? The Bible says there are three things we need to keep in mind. First, repent. Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Second Peter 3 verse 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Luke 24, verses 46 and 47, Jesus himself said, it was meet that the Son of Man should be crucified, buried, and the third day rise again, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all men. What does it mean to repent? Well, if I walked up to you today and I slapped you across the face, whack, that'd be very startling, wouldn't it? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I just did that. Please forgive me. You say, okay, Brother Webb, you're a visiting evangelist. I'll give you a break and we'll forgive you. I say, thank you for being so kind. And I nail you again. Whack. And I say, well, you nasty hand, you stop that. Would you forgive me again? You say, okay, I guess I'll forgive you again. I say, thank you for being so gracious. And I slap you again. Whack. And I say, would you forgive me again? I I don't know why I keep doing that. You say, well, I'll be Christian about it. I'll turn the other cheek. I say, good, I'll hit that one too. Whack! How many of you folks think I'm truly sorry I'm slapping you in the face? Nobody. Oh, come on, everybody. I said I was sorry. I said the magic words. Doesn't that mean anything? No. How do you know I'm not sorry? Because I keep on doing what I say I'm sorry for. So let me get this straight. If I'm truly sorry, I'm making an impression on your face the FBI could identify the fingerprints of, what am I going to do besides say I'm sorry? I'm going to stop. I can tell him up north. If you're in the southeast, it's y'all quit. Or if it's a group, all y'all quit. But it means the same thing. I'm not going to keep doing that over and over and over again. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. You're so gracious. You're so kind. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to be turning away from what I said I was sorry for. That's repentance. You and I, if we are going to be saved by God's salvation, need to come to Christ with repentance. It is not just a fire escape deal to stay out of hell or fire insurance, if you will. Some people hear a preacher preach about hell, fire, damnation, and torment, get scared to death and say, oh, man, I don't want to suffer in a lake of fire for eternity but I don't want to change how I live my life either. So they say, tell me what prayer I have to pray. Oh yeah, dear Jesus, please save me. Now that I prayed those magic words, I'm going to keep lying and cheating and stealing and gambling and everything else I did before because hey, I prayed the magic prayer, I get to go to heaven. Amen. Don't believe so, friend. Why? If you don't mean business with God, he does not do business with you. Have you repented? 
Then what? Believe on Christ. Acts 16, 31. The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas the night the earthquake took place in his jail and nobody escaped. And he said, what must I do to be saved? They did not say join our church. They did not say get baptized. They did not say turn over a new leaf or do so many good deeds or go on a pilgrimage or pray so many times a day in a certain direction. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus himself spoke to the man who came seeking truth, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, and said at verses 14 through 18, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The last verse of the same chapter of John 3 says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So I ask you, not only have you repented, but have you believed that Jesus is God, that he left the glories of heaven, came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in your place, was buried in the grave, rose again the third day, and that only he can save you. For the Bible says in Acts uh, chapter 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if you have repented, and if you have truly believed, then have you received him? I talked to lots of folks in my lifetime, and I've said, do you realize you're a sinner? Yes. Are you sorry for your sin? I guess so. Uh, would you like to call on the Lord and ask him now to save you from your sin? Well, not today, preacher. I'll do it some other time. I'll do it when I get older. I'll do it when I get home. I'll do it whatever, fill in the blank. You can have all the faith of sal- or, excuse me, all the facts of salvation you want in your head. But until you've got the faith of salvation in Christ in your heart, you're still lost. And the Bible tells us that's a gift. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin, that's what we've earned, is death. But the gift of God we don't deserve is Jesus Christ, uh, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2, 89 says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, verse 5 says, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. But a gift, no matter how wonderful it is, offered to you, still does you no good at all unless you accept that gift. And that's why the Bible then says, Romans 10, 9, 10, and verse 13, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession to man unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, so plainly that you can put your, your name where it says whosoever. You can plug it right in there because God does mean you. You can call on the Lord Jesus. If you've never done that before, whether you're watching live stream or whether you're present here in the auditorium, if you do not know of any time when you've ever come to God and said, I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry, I'm I'm willing to turn from that sin. I can't change me, but I know you will. And, And I believe Jesus died for me on the cross and rose again and only he can save me. Would you God give to me now? 
that gift of eternal life. You said it, preacher, if I prayed a prayer like that and I called on Christ, I received him, he would save me absolutely because John 1, 12 promises, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you've never done that before, don't put it off. The Bible never says you can do it tomorrow. It says today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. It says seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This very day you can call out to God and ask him for that eternal life and he will hear you and he will save you. And you will have allowed the Word of God to accomplish its first purpose God says He gave it to do. God gave us His Word to lead us to salvation. Have you let God's Word do that in your heart? Look at verse 16. There's a second purpose. God gave us His Word to lead us to strength. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What does all that mean? Maybe an illustration would help. In January of 2006, I was diagnosed with bladder cancer. I didn't want to hear the word cancer, the word surgery. I heard both of those things. They did surgery to remove four tumors from my bladder. They said, we got everything out. As far as we know, all you need to do is just have a checkup every three months to make sure it does not come back. I didn't have an opportunity for another checkup in my schedule until four months. And when I went to a different doctor in a different state and they did that checkup, they found 15 more. Now, the doctors typically did the same thing when those things happened. The first thing they did was give me doctrine. Here is a chart of the human body. Here is where your bladder is. Here is what its function is. Here is what's going on there. This is what we're going to have to do about that. Now, some of those were facts and information that some might have thought were dry or whatever, but I needed to know all of those facts so I would know where, where I stood and what they were going to do about it. God gives to us in his word many pieces of information, who we are, how he made the world, how we were created, what his purpose is in our lives. We need all of that doctrine. That's the first thing. Doctrine. That's the information that we need. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Some people say, well, when Pastor Phelps preaches, a lot of his preaching sounds like teaching. Amen. It's supposed to be. Ephesians chapter 4 says God gave pastors and evangelists to, and teachers to teach God's people the work of the ministry. And the Word of God tells us we need to learn from that teaching of the Word of God. That's doctrine. That, that's information God gives us in His Word. Then what? Then there's reproof. The, the, the regular doctor didn't do this, but the naturopathic doctor we became involved with at the same time started to pick on me. You know, Mr. Webb, you have cancer because uh, you don't get enough rest at night, you don't get enough exercise during the day, and you eat garbage. You need to make some changes in your lifestyle. Don't you just love it when somebody says to you, we need to have a talk. You have a problem. Hmm? No, we get all prickly and defensive and ready to make excuse and point at other people and the rest of those kind of things. We don't like it when somebody wants to point out faults with us. But it is interesting to me that most people appreciate a mirror. Most of you saw one before you left your house this morning. And if you didn't, we can tell. <laughs> 
But I appreciate the stores that have figured out that men and uh, run out of things to shop for before our wives and daughters do. So they've put a nice comfy chair in the ladies' department where we can sit down and rest our weary bones while our wives and daughters continue to try on everything in the store and either buy it all or none of it. Uh, but each one of those sections, it seems like, has at least one mirror. And usually in that section of the store, a bank of mirrors at different angles so the ladies can see what they look like from every side that way. It is interesting, fellas, if you've sat in that chair very much and watched people go by, there are some people who cannot pass a mirror without stopping to look. It's, uh-oh, I need to fix my hair, or, oh, I have an eyelash that's coming unglued, or, oh, my lipstick needs to be redone, or something else that way. I've never seen anybody who saw something wrong there go to the customer service desk and say, see here, I want to see the manager. There's a mirror over there in that section that showed me my hair is messed up, and my lipstick needs to be fresh, and my eyelash is coming unglued, and it damaged my self-esteem. And it made me feel bad. And I want you to take that mirror down. In fact, I want you to take all the mirrors down in your store, or I'm going to find another store to shop in that doesn't have mirrors. How do you like that? You know where I'm going with that? There's some people that hear the gospel, get saved. They come to a good Bible-preaching church, and the pastor begins to preach the whole counsel of God, and God's Spirit begins to point out things in our lives that are not pleasing in His sight. And there are people that get mad at the pastor, and they come to the preacher and say, I don't like the way you preach. I don't like this. This stepped on my toes, and that made me feel bad, and it damaged my self-esteem. And if you don't quit preaching that, I'm going to go down to the road to one of those mega churches with the curly-haired guys with a big smile, and they don't talk about that kind of stuff there. Hey, look, do you realize that if they take all the mirrors out of the store, that's not going to solve your problem? It's just the whole mall is going to know your hair is messed up, your lipstick needs refreshed, and your eyelash came unglued. God does not show us things in our lives that are displeasing to make us feel bad. He doesn't do that to ruin our lives. He does that so that we can have that taken care of. We need to recognize. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So God points out those things with his word in our lives, not to ruin our lives, but so the next process of the word of God can take place in in our hearts, not only uh, doctrine and reproof, but then correction. That's like surgery. Now, most people that I know don't enjoy surgery, but I did not mind going under the knife to have taken out of me what, if left there, could kill me. And the Bible tells us that he shows us the things that are not pleasing in his sight, that are ruining our spiritual life and our quality of life, so that we can then be changed by his word. The Bible says, the entrance of thy word bringeth life. Again, Psalm 119, 11 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word put into our hearts and into our minds so that it goes down and comes out in our lives, flushes out the wickedness of the world, carves out the disease of sin so that it will not destroy our lives any further. Doctrine, reproof, correction. Then what? Then instruction in righteousness. Now, again, the regular medical, and I'm not picking on regular medical people, but they basically say when it's time for surgery, things will cut it out. If it comes back, we'll, you know, do something about it again. The naturopathic doctor spent over an hour and a half the first time in her office explaining what we needed to eat, how much sleep I needed to get, where I needed, if we travel on the weekends like we do and we stop at fast food, which restaurants don't put all the garbage in their uh, preservatives into their food, etc., etc. I appreciate all of that instruction in right living. That's what it means when it says instruction in righteousness. 
Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God uses his word to show us the way that we should walk so that the wickedness of sin will not invade and destroy our spiritual lives. Again, we need that instruction in right living. It makes us strong. That's the action, if you will, of the word of God. There's also an acquisition of it, though. All of that doesn't do us any good sitting in the word of God. The Bible says all that we need for life and godliness is in the pages of the scripture, but it does us no good sitting there. We need to get it out of the book, into our heads, down into our hearts, so it comes out in our lives. Which means if you want that full strengthening of the word of God in your heart, first you need to love it. David said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, uh, 97. uh, The word of God tells us in Psalm 1, verse 2, that the blessed man is the one who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein, and thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We need to get into the Word of God. We need to read it, then we need to meditate on it, then we need to memorize it and share it with others, methodize it to tell others the good news of salvation as well. But allow that Word. We, we love that Word. Then what? We need to learn it. Again, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We need to get the word of God into our lives. Because let's face it, most of the time that you're going to be tempted to sin, you're not going to have a Bible nearby to grab and, oh, let me find a verse. It's true about the divine appointments God opens to witness to the lost sometimes as well. You may not have a Bible near you when God opens up that opportunity. So you better have it here and you better have it here. You say, I can't even remember my own phone number, Brother Webb. Look, if God made your mind, your mouth, and his word, he can intersect those three anytime he needs to. If you've put it in your heart for him to be able to use. We need to love it. We need to learn it. We need to live it. Read Psalm 119, the very first three verses, David says again and again, I will keep thy precepts. I will walk before thy precepts, before all the people. There are a lot of lost folks, if you invite them to come to church, We'll say, I'm not interested because the church is full of what? Hypocrites. Problem is, that's often true. If they can hear your car coming three blocks away like you hear theirs, boom, 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 twang, 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 twang. Why do they need your Jesus? Your music's no different than theirs is. If they see you slugging back a brew on the back porch, or they hear you hollering at your kids, or your kids hollering at you before they run out of the house and squeal the tires of their car down the road, why do they need your Jesus? You're no different. Your family's no different than theirs. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if you get a genuine dose of God's salvation, your life will be changed. And there will be correction in our lives as we love it, we learn it, we live it, and then what? We need to loose it. We need to loose it. Want to be a strong Christian? Be a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus. Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You show me somebody that wants to be a three-letter Christian, CIA, FBI, NSA, you know, Knock me down and threaten to kill me. I might tell you the gospel, but otherwise I'm not going to open my mouth and share it with you. No, you show me somebody like that, I'll show you a weak Christian. 
You show somebody who's witnessing to those about them at work and at school or wherever they go, I'll show you a Christian that's a strong Christian as they continue to share the Word of God with others. They're strengthened in their faith and their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first reason God gave us His Word is to lead us to salvation. Have you let God's Word do that? The second is to lead us to strength. Are you letting God's Word do that? And finally today, the third purpose for God's Word that makes it so important is because God gave it to us to lead us to service. Why does God save us and then strengthen us? so that we may then serve him, verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all, what? Good works. Why did God save us and strengthen us by his word that we might serve him faithfully? Where do we serve the Lord? The Bible tells us the place that God works through is the local church. The local church. We are to serve the Lord through the local churches. He places the members in the body as it hath pleased him. God has therefore given every one of us gifts, abilities, talents that can be used for the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be then a member of a good Bible-believing church. There's some people that say, well, brother, I don't believe in church membership. And I have to say, well, then you need to go back and study your New Testament again. Because everybody I see in the New Testament who trusted Christ, except for the thief on the cross, and they wouldn't let him off for baptism either. Everybody else, when they got saved, were then baptized and identified themselves as a member of a local visible assembly of believers. The church of Corinth or Philippi or Antioch or wherever it was. To whom do you think the letters to the churches were written? Not to a building or to a piece of property. Colonial Hills baptized this church is not this building or the property it sits on. It just houses the church. The people of the church. The called out assembly. And God wants us to plug in and serve. Some people say, well, I don't want to join the church because I'm afraid if I do, they might expect me to do something. I mentioned I'm a chalk artist, or I like to draw. I'm not much of an artist. I just like to draw. But in any case, there was a lady in one of our meetings that was asking me at the beginning of the week, where do you get your, your, your chalk? Where do you get your paper? How did you do the board and all the rest of that? And I explained those things to her. But on the last night of the meeting, she came to me. She said, Brother Webb, I've been thinking about this on this week. If I get all this stuff together, my husband's going to expect me to use it. I said, ma'am, can I, can I tell you something? If you know you have the talent... God already expects you to use it. What talent has God given to you? You know, I, I, I play brass instruments uh, in our ministry. I carry four of them along with us. But, you know, I didn't used to play brass. I didn't start playing until I was out of college several years. And after my associate passed, uh, almost before my, just right before my associate in ministry passed away of a brain aneurysm. But, but uh, I didn't even used to play along with congregational singing during, during singing in church services. I was in a church in Virginia. There was a man with a trombone, and there were two fellows with trumpets on either side bracketing him. And they were playing with the congregational singing, and the man with the trombone kept bothering me all the beginning of the week. Why don't you play with us? Why don't you play with us? Come on, we can use the extra brass. And I said, no, you don't want me to play. I, I, I'm not any good. I make mistakes. He said, we all make mistakes. None of us is any good besides that. Everybody else is busy singing. They're not paying attention to us. So who are you playing for? Ow. So I started playing with those folks that week. Had a good time playing along with them, even though I was making mistakes. And I found out Thursday of that week, brother, that that fellow who said none of us is any good was the first chair trombonist for the United States Navy Band. None of us is any good. <laughs> What kind of ability do you have? There are some people that sit in the pew and listen to the choir sing that should be singing in the choir. And there are people that sit and watch people play musical instruments along with the congregation singing that play a good musical instrument. You could be playing along with that as well. 
that, that aren't doing that right now. They're, have you noticed there's some people walk in a room full of children and be there an hour and the kids don't even notice they're there? And there are other people who walk in a room full of children within five minutes, all the children are sitting around them listening to what they're saying. You should be teaching Sunday school or children's church or a Bible club or VBS or something. God has given you an ability to be able to do those things for him. When, when I was growing up, I could imitate all the cartoon characters' voices. I used to wonder, why, God, did you make me that way? I mean, my wife still calls me the human sponge. If I get to some part of the country where they have an accent and I'm there very long, I'll pick it up. My mother was from L.A., Loa, Alabama. And if I go down that part of the country even still, uh, by the time I've been down there for a month, I'll be preaching like this. Or if I go to New York City, I may be talking like that. And I used to wonder, why, why, God, did you make me that way? Well, my best friend and I were traveling with my father's ministry after, at, uh, our, after our senior year of high school. We were in a church in South Carolina. They had a puppet ministry. We didn't see them do anything with it. We, we looked at the stages. We talked to the man in charge of it who was working on some of the things that week. And we looked at each other and said, hey, we could do that in our church. So we went home and we, 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 we went to the fellow who was in charge of children's church and said, we want to start a puppet ministry. Could we help you out in children's church? He said, that would be wonderful. So we got all the stuff together and we had a good time that first year ministering in children's church with that fella. And, and, and in the summertime, they let it go because everybody's out of town on vacation and they started back up again officially in the fall. So that fall, we went to him and we said, hey, what are we doing in children's church this year? He said, you know what, fellas, you don't need me here anymore. You can do this yourselves. So we did. From age 14 till my best friend and I graduated and went to Bible college together, we ran the entire children's church ministry in our church. No, we didn't goof around. We, one of us preached each week. We did the lesson each week. We did the verses they did before. We did all the songs they did before. We did a puppet story every week. And I'm so thankful for a pastor in a church that realized that young people are not the church of tomorrow. They're as much a part of the church of today as anybody else is. And there are things that they can do to serve the Lord. In fact, I'd say if you want your young people to grow up serving the Lord, you need to start them serving the Lord when they are younger. What area of service are you working in the local church? God giving you ability in finances. You could be the treasurer or assistant treasurer. Is he giving you ability to cook or bake or something? You can help provide meals for banquets or for somebody whose who's spouse is in the hospital and doesn't have the time to make food or somebody who's just come home from having a baby at the hospital and they don't want to have to have to spend the whole first week home trying to cook for everybody while they're trying to take care of a newborn at their house that way. You can use gifts and abilities as God has given to you for his honor and his glory. Are you plugged in? Are you serving? Now I challenge you, if you're visiting here today and you don't you live around here and you don't know where there's a good bible believing bible preaching church to get into and get involved with i think if i ask pastor phelps he can suggest one and the folks here will be thrilled to have you come and fellowship with the believers here but don't just come and fill a pew you see it's not being in a church is not a spectator sport it's an audience participation sport. Everybody has an area of service. What we can do in, in the serving the Lord, have you plugged into yours? If not, let me challenge you. If you're not sure what's available, what needs to be done, most churches I get into, no matter what size they are, they're usually just a few families or several families in a larger church that do most of the stuff that gets done in the church, and everybody else kind of watches it get done. There are once in a while people say, oh, you can't do that. I like what my pastor put in our church bulletin one time. It said, would those of you who say it cannot be done, please move over so those who are doing it can get by. 
Are you functioning? Go to the pastor once you've joined the church and say, Preacher, what do you need help in? What can I do? What do you need to do? Some of you might say, I've never done that before. Great. It'll stretch your faith. It'll stretch your walk with the Lord. It'll help you to grow. It'll make you a strong Christian. But the Word of God tells us God saved us to lead us to service. And there's one verse in the Scripture that tells us in closing how we are to serve. My father used to tell this story about a little boy who always came into church and sat in the very center aisle seat on one side and he would get his hymn book out and sing well he was late coming into church one Sunday because uh, he had to go to the bathroom and then after there he went to the drinking fountain and then a friend of his stopped to talk to him so when he came in they were already singing the first song a verse of the congregational first congregational song but he came all the way down the aisle to his seat like this and when he got to the front, he picked up his songbook. Somebody told him what page it was, and he was ready to start the next verse. And the Sunday school superintendent was also the song leader. So he started the beginning of the next verse and then looked at the boy and said, what are you doing? The boy said, who, me? He said, yes, you. What's with the boing, 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 boing? He said, I'm doing the Sunday school lesson. He said, the Sunday school lesson? He said, yes, sir, that's the memory verse. He said, the memory verse? The little boy said, aha, you didn't learn it, did you? So he quoted it for him, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my brother, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always bounding. Well, all of his heart, he was doing what he thought that verse said, bounding down the aisle. No, what does it say? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always, never ceasing, never stopping, never quitting. You know what, folks? You may be a senior citizen or a senior saint now, and you may have retired from your day job, but none of us ever retires from our service to Christ. You may change emphases or ministries, but you never quit your service to the Lord until the Lord comes to take us home, amen? Just like somebody said, you never graduate from the school of Bible study until you meet the author face to face. Always. Then what? Abounding. Bible says we're not to stay static in our faith. Add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, etc., etc. We're not to remain static. We're to be progressing. We're to be growing, which means you need to step out and do more for the Lord. The longer you're saved, you ought to be able to accomplish more for the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've been doing the same thing for so many years. I can do it with my brain in neutral. That's not a good thing. God speaks about people who in the Word of God served Him, but that their heart was far from Him. No, we need, to be, we need to be on fire for the Lord as we serve in whatever area of the church. But maybe what you need to do is step out and involve yourself in a different ministry now that will stretch you and turn around and train somebody else to take over what you were doing. God said that to Timothy, the things that thou hast learned to me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to turn around and teach others also. That helps the church to grow for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave us his word for these three very vital, important reasons. I would ask you this morning as we close, are you allowing God's word to accomplish each of those purposes in your heart? If you have not yet been brought to salvation, may today be the day of that salvation. Call on him. Ask for that salvation. If you are not spending time in his word, you're not reading it, you're not studying, you're not meditating on it, you're not memorizing it, getting into your head down in your life, then begin that practice. Get a Bible reading schedule if you need to and faithfully follow that as it breaks the Bible down into smaller bite-sized pieces spiritually that you, can, that you can feed on in your spiritual life and grow in him. And then are you serving the Lord in the local church? Are you plugged in? Are you involved? If not, let me challenge you. Don't leave here without selling that. Maybe there's some folks here, you say, Brother Webb, I really like coming to this church. Are you a member? No, but I like pastors preaching. I didn't ask you that. Are you a member? Well, I, I like the choir here. I didn't ask you that. Are you a member? I like the music. I didn't ask you that. Are you a member? Well, no. 
Well, then quit freeloading and join. Plug in. Serve. And as we close this morning, it'd be wonderful even if you came and just shook the pastor's hand this morning at the altar here or, or see him on the way out this morning and just shake his hand and say, Preacher, we want to join the church. We're not just going to keep coming. We're not just going to attend. We want to be a, a serve in the Lord here too. We want to be plug in. Uh, we want to be a member. How can we serve? Here's what we may be good at or whatever and, and get busy growing in the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave us his word to lead us to salvation. He gave us his word to lead us to strength. He gave us his word to lead us to service. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.